Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got a brand new member of our mentoring team with us, Ashley Vukovic. Ashley, welcome to Grow CFO. Thank you, Kevin. I'm very excited to be here. Ashley, tell me a little bit about you. Sure. So I'll tell you a little bit about my background. So I have a degree in accounting and finance. I went to public accounting straight out of college, got my CPA. I stayed at KPMG for about three years. I went on to a public company where I spent seven years in the accounting and finance departments doing just general accounting management working on the finance side with a lot of lending. And that was an auto finance company. And then I left there and went and I spent the next 14 years at a public contact center solution company, so technology. And I worked my way up there. I spent most of my time there as VP of finance, but I was promoted to CFO and spent two years as CFO at Interactive Intelligence, where Shortly after I was promoted, we decided to try to sell the company. So most of my tenure as CFO was selling this public company. We ended up selling for $1.4 billion to a company out of California. I stayed on for about six months after the sale and helped them shut down the public company, helped them with culture and people. And then I left there and started doing a little bit of fractional CFO work. And in June of 20. I partnered with two other former CFOs, and we formed a company called LiftBridge CXO. So I'm now managing director of that, and we provide fractional CFO services to small to medium-sized technology companies. Wow, fantastic. Where are you based, Ashley? So I'm based in Indianapolis, Indiana. Right. Fairly central in the USA. Yeah, yeah. the the heart of the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah, lovely place to live. That, that's an area that's actually on my bucket list for a visit. Been to a lot of parts of the US, but never the Midwest. So it's definitely one for the future. Yeah. Well, but, you can come and visit me, Kevin. Ah, they will <laughs> hold, you, hold you on that offer. But actually, just thinking back to you being VP of finance and then moving into the CFO role, tell me a little bit about the, how being VP of finance and then CFO differed to each other. What changed as that took place? Yeah, that's a great question. So as VP of finance for a public company, Global, I had about 40, 40 plus employees around the globe. So we had, of course, our headquarters was in Indianapolis, Indiana, but we had an EMEA um, headquarters in the UK. We had a Asia Pacific headquarters in Malaysia. So really as VP of finance, my role was to manage the finance and accounting team across the globe. So I really got a very in-depth knowledge of that process and, and managing a global team. So when I stepped into the CFO role, it was really then managing the new VP of finance but my role expanded. So I then was in charge of human resources, information technology, security, facilities, and of course, had a seat on the leadership team. So spent a lot of time with the other leaders, more in a strategic role in the business. And we were a 
on-premise software company that was moving to the cloud. So as you can imagine, the investor relations of that was very important. Huge amount of money being spent. (laughs) Yeah. So explaining why we were going from recognizing big chunks of revenue up front when we sold software to a SaaS model where you recognize your revenue over time. So lots of changes to the revenue, lots of changes to the cash flow and how that was going to come in. So I spent a lot of time with investors and analysts and the public just explaining that transition. So it was really a much different role, but it was great because I had great leaders in place in each of the areas that I was supervising. So it was a great experience for me. Yeah. But that can't have been an easy transition because those two roles are just so different to each other. What sort of issues did you have personally coming to terms with being a CFO? Well, of course, there's always the imposter theory, right? So you always... You know, you, you're I think you're, 90% of new CFOs claim they've got that. I think, <laughs> I think you're exactly right. Like you, you're comfortable in the, the role you're in. And you've seen, like I worked with the same CFO supervisor that I had for over 10 years. So, you know, I saw how he was in that role. I saw what his responsibilities were. I think it's important to have strong leaders, particularly in areas you're not as familiar with. So, so for me, like, Owning the security of a public technology company was very intimidating. I didn't even know a lot of the buzzwords in security, but I had an amazing VP of security who, you know, was just very patient. What I found is, and and I think this is a great lesson to have learned, you don't have to be an expert in all the areas that you manage, but you have to be a good leader. And a lot of times people in those positions, they want help making decisions. They want somebody to bounce stuff off of. They want somebody to have a conversation. They want to share in the risk that they're taking in their job. So so just being that person that could talk to them, let have them walk me through what was going on in their world, learning a lot, but then ultimately helping them make decisions in their role was key. So yeah, I mean, it was very intimidating, particularly in areas I hadn't had a lot of experience in, but great experience, good leaders, and really just having the confidence to know I got there for a reason. And those skills that got me there, I just needed to keep using. Yeah. I suppose knowing that you've been through that sort of challenge and how you coped with it must be a great starting place when it comes to mentoring a new CFO. Yeah. I totally agree. So I have a mentor in Italy and she started with me probably about a year ago and she was a director of finance and her goal was ultimately to get a CFO role. And so we spend a lot of time talking about really the emotions behind that, the confidence. You know, it is a lot of the same things. It doesn't matter like the size of the company. It's still a lot of the same feelings that she has that I had at that same time. So I spent a lot of time just telling her about situations I was in that maybe were similar to situations she's currently in. So yeah, being able to tap into that experience, I think is very helpful when I'm mentoring people because I think it allows them to feel like they're not alone in this. You know, they're not feeling things that other people don't feel. You just, when you're in that situation, you don't necessarily realize that, 
This is normal. Everybody feels this way, but also helping give a nudge and direction, you know, that I feel will help them get to the end result they want to. And sometimes that's doing things out of your comfort zone. Sometimes it's having conversations with people that intimidate you, but you know, being an outside viewer of the situation and then having the background I do, I think I bring a unique set of skills and observations to the relationship, to the mentor relationship. Brilliant. Now, interesting that you mentioned a mentee who's based in Italy and you're in the US. What sort of issues does that bring into the dynamic? (laughs) You know, surprisingly, not a lot. The only caveat I give her sometimes, because sometimes you get a little down in the weeds on the accounting side and she'll bounce an accounting issue. And I'm like, well, I can tell you how it is in GAP, but I don't know how it is Mm. in IFRS. So certainly the account, the details of the accounting, like you don't usually get into that in a mentor relationship too much anyway, but that's really it. I mean, the, as long as the mentor speaks English, I'm game. You know, I've been really thrilled with the relationship. It's fun to talk to somebody in a different country and the different cultures. And and also, I guess, because I've had some global experience managing people in different companies, I have a little insight into the different cultures. And, you know, for example, in Germany, my experience is lots of rule following going on there. Oh, yes. (laughs) And so she actually interviewed with a German company. She was looking to further her career. And so we talked a lot about that culture and how you might tweak your answers to interview questions, just given the culture and the expectations in a certain country. So I think that global experience I've had has come in handy. But honestly, the mentoring relationship in, you know, from the US to Italy has been pretty seamless. Occasionally, I'll have to ask her to repronounce a word that I can't understand, or she has to think about what's the what's the English word I'm trying to say. But, uh, you know, that just keeps things fun. Yeah. My other half has similar things with her art lessons, where her art teacher is Spanish. And ah, yeah. Sylvie will say, oh, oh, and what's the English word for this? And then be surprised that it is actually the literal translation of the Spanish word. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> yeah, you get there. You get there in the conversations. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about you outside of the office. What is it that sparks Ashley's life? Sure. So I'm married, been married for over 25 years now. I have three kids. So the oldest is 25 and he is in law school in Chicago. Middle son is a graduate student. So he graduated and he's getting his master's at Mississippi State. He also plays golf for them. So that's main reason why he's down there. My daughter is a sophomore at Auburn, which is in Alabama. So my kids are all over the eastern half of the United States. My husband and I spend a lot of time traveling, visiting them, watching my son play golf, watching the American version of football, (laughs) college football, traveling a lot, and, and just spending time with them is really what we enjoy. My parents live in Florida, so we get down to Florida a lot, especially in the winter. And yeah, so I'd say traveling, I live on a golf course, so I'm trying to take up golf. So I spend a little bit of time doing that in the summer. But yeah, I'd say family is a big part of me and what I do. And I mean, ironically, like linking it back to the business side of things, I did all of my career while being married and raising three kids. So 
having that unique perspective of work-life balance and how you make that work. I look back at it and I still am not quite sure how we made it all work because as you know, like when you're working and you have deadlines and you have investor calls, there are some things that just you can't move. Although I think we're a little bit more flexible in today's world than we probably were back then. And and honestly, the key to me making it all work was my husband. He actually worked from home way before it was cool. And so, you know, he did a lot of the picking the kids up at four from school and running them to soccer practice or golf lessons or whatever. But anyway, I think my family life gives me a unique perspective of that work-life balance. Yeah. And I think that is something that's a major thing to take into account around the point that you're likely to go into that first CFO role. Mm -hmm. It's likely to happen at that age where you've settled down and the kids have come along and the kids might be just making it to school. They might be younger than that. They give you all the childcare issues and so on. And I think going in there with that sort of experience is really useful. Yeah. Something I found over lockdown in the UK was that a lot of the folk on our future CFO program said, "Mm, is there any way you can make this easier for us? Any way we can take this in bite-sized chunks? Because look, here we are, we're both working. We've got the kids at home now and we've got to educate them from home. We're barely getting time to get our own jobs done in the evening after the kids have gone to bed. How on earth do we fit the training in? Yeah, no, and I think you're right. Chunking it into little pieces, putting it on different mediums. So being able to watch a podcast versus like reading a bunch of stuff. I think from what I've seen of Grow CFO, there's a lot of different ways you can consume the material. That's where we realize that, hang on a minute, we might be put a big course together on on this particular subject, but can we condense it down into an hour's webinar? Yeah. No, I think it's really important, but you also don't want to skimp on things. Like there is a lot of meat that goes into the CFO role. Mm-hmm. And so it's important that you don't lose any of that in trying to present it in ways that are more consumable to people in today's society. But there's still a lot there. So yeah, you want to make sure you don't miss out on any key points or learnings that they need to know. Yeah, and you've still got CPD rules around that say you should do a certain number of hours of learning. So the fact that we can compress maybe an hour's learning into half an hour doesn't actually count for an hour's learning. I know, that's very (laughs) true. Yeah, that is the one thing with us and our CPAs and your version of that. There is a lot of training involved in it's it's hard to get it all in. And yeah, we're all busy. So having that in convenient ways to consume it is is really important. So thinking about the mentor-mentee relationship, what would your ideal mentee look like? You know, there's very few things I would say ideal would look like. I think comes in a lot of shapes, sizes, forms, backgrounds. But I would say the key is just the drive the drive to really want to get there. Because as I said before, like it's not easy and it's going to take you out of your comfort zone a lot. And you're going to be forced to do things that make you nervous and uncomfortable. And, you know, just those feelings that you might not think you're going to have to experience to get there, but you really do. So the drive to get there, the openness to take advice and to have conversations 
and just to open up because I find the most successful mentee mentor relationships, it's almost like a friendship. Like you really have to get to know each other personally too, to really understand the whole picture. So, you know, you, I'm jumping on a call and asking, you know, the first five minutes we might spend just catching up, like, how was your weekend? What'd your kids do? You know, cause it's all part of it. It may not seem like it, but this is a journey for the whole person and not just the professional side of you, but you know, how are you going to make it work in your family? How are you going to, the commitments that sometimes the CFO role takes, uh, particularly around quarter ends, you know, and if you're a public company, even more, but even not, you still have a board meetings. And so, I mean, there's a lot of high level things that you're going to have to take on. So it's important that I understand the whole person and, and what the goals are. But, you know, I really think it boils down to those two, just the drive to get there and the openness to talk and have communications and take advice and get a path forward down. You know, goals are really important, uh, not the long-term goal. Well, I mean, the long-term goal of making CFO or being promoted to CFO, but also the short-term goals and how you chunk those up into bite-sized pieces that you can see progress along the way. Yeah. So your big experience as CFO has been in a tech company, but there's been major investment which would involve you in fundraising, then involve you in exit. Yes. Yeah. So, but thinking about beyond that, you've got a load of experience now as a fractional CFO, Mm -hmm. setting up your own business to do that. What, What sort of additional experience do you think all those fractional roles have brought to you? Oh, you know, it's been great. When I first started taking on fractional roles, you know, and I had this public company, like all of my experience was public accounting, then two public companies. So really big companies. So I was curious to see how that would transfer to smaller companies. And, you know, a lot of it does, you know, I mean, while they may not be required to follow Sarbanes-Oxley, you know, that we have here around controls, it's still like controls are an important part of setting up a business and running the accounting department in the proper way. Like you've got to have controls over things. So a lot of it was transferable, but there were just like key things I didn't know. Like I had never seen a detailed cap table where you'd had individual investors and venture capital firms putting in money. Like the cap tables I saw, you ran off of like NASDAQ and you know you could see who your major shareholders were. So there was like key things that I didn't know, but I feel like now having done been doing the fractional CFO work for smaller to mid-sized companies for two and a half years, I've learned a lot. So I think I bring a unique combination of big company where it's more like control oriented and management layers and how do you manage people and really developing people to smaller companies and helping them set up a foundation so that they can grow into those larger roles and larger size companies. So, you know, when you think about it from the people side, I love helping people that are younger in their careers think about how they can get to the points that they want to get to. So even if if that's a, a formal mentorship relationship or just the controller at a you know company that I do fractional work for, I just really enjoy those relationships and, you know, trying to help them further their career. Yeah. My background, a little bit different from yours, being coming after qualifying, becoming a management consultant. 
And I'd get as much out of working with the individuals in the client as getting the project across the line. You'd form some great relationships with some of the key people in the client. And it did, in certain cases, become almost a mentoring relationship. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have definitely been involved in formal mentor programs at some of the companies I've worked for. They've put together mentor programs where you mentor somebody in a different department. They don't usually set you up in your own department. You mentor somebody outside of your department because you're really helping them work with their supervisor and you know how can you help that relationship too. So it's good to do that outside of your department. But just had so many mentor-like relationships in my tenure at those companies with the staff that was under me. You get into a bigger company and there's layers of management. And so you don't always get to interact with everybody, even in your own department. But I feel like people felt that my door was open to having conversations and to helping mentor people. And, you know, a lot of times it was females because I think it was great to have a female in a top leadership role in the company. And it gave them hope and hopefully a role model where they could talk to me about things I'd overcome in that regard. Yeah, I've had a lot of like informal mentor relationships, as I'm sure you have over your career. Yeah. So interesting. Do you feel that you're drawn more to mentor women than men? I don't think so. I mean, me personally, I'm open to both. I think sometimes I draw free females just because of you know what I just said. But I enjoy mentoring men just as much as women. But I think my unique situation with, especially like, I mean, both of the public companies I worked for, the whole board was men. Both leadership teams were all men. Of course, I want more women on both of those teams. Absolutely. But I also work well with men. I mean, Mm. yeah, I grew up with a brother. I've got sons. I feel like I'm not threatened by it, but it probably Mm. takes some time to get there. I don't know, too. I think bringing a different voice to those tables is sometimes that's where you have to have confidence because sometimes you have a different opinion. And that opinion is so valuable because if you look up at the makeup of like, let's take our customers of, you know, one of our public companies, I mean, it's half men, half women. So why are we putting together a business strategy and only taking into account one side? So when you get to the table as the only female, you want to make sure your voice is heard. But that is difficult sometimes to have the confidence to be able to speak up and speak differently than maybe others in the room are. Yeah. And I think if you're an organization that's keen to be innovative, you've got to have diversity. I think that's one of the biggest places that innovation comes from, is having enough people around the table with different backgrounds, different cultures, different races, different genders. All of those different perspectives coming together, I think, is what gives you innovation. If you're a room full of white males of a certain age and you hire more white males of a certain age, well, what your company does is going to continue to be the same thing, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. No, I totally agree. I 100% agree. And that's why when I get in those situations, I, I make sure I make my voice heard, but I'm, you know, so then I'm the white female in the room. We're still lacking a lot of diversity. And so I've spent time in my career. I mean, I guess 
what I do outside of work. I've also spent time with some not-for-profits, really trying to focus on bringing more diversity into tech, specifically technology, but also leadership roles at an early age. So spent some time in some programs that brought computer science to classrooms, whether that was like middle school or high school, and particularly in the underserved areas. So some of our public schools here in in Indianapolis, um, our inner city schools, really trying to get technology in there so that they can start learning at an early age and become interested. Because, I mean, I've told, I've been a judge on some presentations that the kids have done. And whenever I get like an African-American woman or a Muslim guy or, you know, just all kinds of different cultures, like I try to instill in them, they have a lot of potential in our industry because there's not a lot of people that look like them in our industry. And so I think there's a lot of desire to have diversity but there's not as many candidates to help put in those roles as we need. So I think it's important to start early and get that diversity interested and then really help them. Okay. Yeah, actually, that, that's a challenge that goes far further than finance. And oh, I yeah. remember I was involved in, I spent a year, my client was uh, the London Olympics and it was four years before the games actually started. And we were dealing with the construction of the Olympic Park. And I was putting together the performance management systems to demonstrate that we were making good on all the promises that we put in the bids to win the games that the mayor of London had made to the local community and so on. And the big promise area was about jobs and jobs for local people. So the, the kind of three boroughs around the Olympic Park, there was a lot of focus on getting jobs into those three boroughs. And then you realize that actually the problem there wasn't just necessarily making the jobs available. You looked at the ethnic split and you saw there were a couple of ethnicities there that there was absolutely zero track record of people from that particular background working in construction. So we had to have a a major head scratch at, well, Okay, so it's not just making the jobs available. How do we actually make the jobs available to this particular group of people? How do we make the jobs attractive? Then once we've made them attractive, how do we train the people? So it becomes a very, very big challenge, which isn't just, it's a long way different from just playing a numbers game. Yeah, no, you're so right. And that's why, you know, I think we each have to find our little piece that we can make a difference in and do it. And, you know, if everybody did that, I think it would really change the diversity makeup in all aspects of life, but in the business world in particular. So yeah, it's frustrating that we don't see more diversity, but for me, it's keep encouraging it in the growing up as kids are growing up, it's keep encouraging it at that level and then helping provide a means to get them to college, to get the training they need. You know, maybe it's not college. Maybe it's, we have some technology schools here. They can do like a two-year degree or whatever, but just giving people an opportunity to be able to have some of the opportunities that others of us have and they may not have. So yeah, we each do our own little part and see if we can make a difference. Absolutely. 
So if somebody was coming along to you to talk about a mentoring relationship, what would a typical mentoring relationship look like? Yeah. The nice thing, and one of the things I love about Grow CFO is it's not a boilerplate. So it's not, they don't hand me a plan that says, here's how you will mentor. It's a more of an open. We believe that that does not work. (laughs) No. (laughs) And I agree. So I think that it's an open structure. So some of it is just having some initial conversations to get a feel for what we want out of this relationship. So what are their goals? What are they trying to accomplish? And then really just setting the schedule that makes the most sense. So I have done mentor relationships where it's once a week. I've done mentor relationships where it's twice a month, once a month. I think, you know, once a month is probably a little light. I think it needs to be at least like every other week, especially in the beginning where you're probably tackling a lot of different things and issues. And it's typically an hour to an hour and a half. And there's typically some work to be done. So we have the meeting and we leave the meeting with things to do. And sometimes that's me. So sometimes it's me like helping, you know, let's say they were struggling with something. So maybe I'll do a little research in some reading that would be helpful for them or podcasts that would be helpful for them to watch. And for them, you know, maybe we leave the meeting with, they're going to go have a conversation with their boss about this one thing. And so that's their homework is they're going to go have that conversation. So that next meeting, we can talk about all that. So I think, you know, in the beginning, you kind of feel each other out, get an understanding of what you're trying to accomplish. We set up the structure, nothing that's preset, but we set it up for what's convenient for both of us. And then we set some goals in the short term of things we want to focus on and want to accomplish from meeting to meeting. So that's what I find best. And it's amazing how quickly the hour or hour and a half goes when you, you dive into it and you look at the clock, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, we, we just went over by two minutes (laughs) and I haven't even looked at the clock the whole time we've been talking. So it's amazing how good those sessions are. And I think they fly by and, and we get a lot accomplished and I always feel energized after them. And I'm sure the mentor, hopefully the mentor does too, you know, they've gotten their pep talk, they've gotten some real world examples of how maybe I experience this. And then they've got their goal that they're going to go, their homework that they're go do for the week. So that's really the structure. I mean, it's pretty simple, but it seems to work. It seems to be flexible. If I've also had times like where something major happens that week. And so we were going to talk about this, but this big issue came up during the week. And so we scrapped that and we talk about the big issue and how we can work through that. So that's the other thing. Flexibility, I think, is key to this relationship. Yeah. And the way you've just described mentoring as being flexible, it's got to be something that works for the mentor and the mentee. So how often, for how long, and so on. Those are reasons that we don't quote prices for mentoring on the website. We say, tell us what you want. Let's have a conversation because you can't price the length of a flexible piece of string. (laughs) Yes, that's so true. And the time, like how long is it? Three months? Is it six months? Is it a year? Like it should be as long as it's still being helpful. And we find in the vast majority of cases that people that will sign up for, say, six months will sign up for another six months. Yeah. I mean, a successful mentoring mentee relationship, I think, can last a long time if, if it's helpful. And, you know, maybe you scale those back. Maybe you just meet once a month after you've hit 
certain some some goals. So that's the nice thing about the flexibility as well. Absolutely. Ashley, that has been fantastic. <laughs> I am really looking forward to us working with you in Grow CFO. Thank you very much for being this week's guest on the Grow CFO show. Well, thanks, Kevin. I had a lot of fun and I look forward to working with you as well and hopefully some of the mentors out there. <laughs>